For the first episode of Metaphors Be With You, we'll be dealing with Star Wars as a metaphor for itself. A meta-metaphor, if you will. But I'll understand if you won't. Hi, I'm Rob Hyard of Chipperish Media, and this is a podcast about symbolism and allegory in the Star Wars movies, TV shows, books, and everything else. Each episode, I'll take a topic and apply it across whatever Star Wars media seems most appropriate. The theme of today's episode is a bit tricky to explain. I'm describing it as Star Wars as a metaphor for itself, but what I'm really talking about is intertextuality, which is the way different but related texts influence, reflect, or subvert one another. You know what? It's easier to just go to the examples. The Force Awakens was the first Star Wars movie that got to treat the original trilogy as history, and therefore give it the same kind of gravitas for the characters as it has developed as a cultural juggernaut out here in the real world. Within the galaxy far, far away, the events of the original trilogy are known as the Galactic Civil War. The first thing that we hear in The Force Awakens is, this will begin to make things right. Lor Santeca is talking about the map to Luke Skywalker's location, but the double meaning as a reassurance to Star Wars fans who have been nursing a grudge about the special editions and the prequel trilogy is hard to miss. Just as important as the line is the character to whom it's delivered, Poe Dameron is one of a handful of audience surrogates in the movie, representing different kinds of fans. Before I get into this, I should mention that I first encountered this idea in a now-defunct forum, and I apologize that I can't credit whoever it was that posted it. I've expanded on it here. Poe is the adult fan who grew up with the original trilogy, and therefore the one that Lor Santeca needs to talk to. He's the one who always wanted to fly a TIE fighter. He's also the one who hides vital information in a droid, just like his hero Leia did. And in the comic Shattered Empire, we discover he was literally born in the original trilogy. His parents were rebels, and both participated in the Battle of Endor at the end of Return of the Jedi. It is not a coincidence that Poe reads as older than the other two principal heroes. Oscar Isaac is also 13 years older than Daisy Ridley and John Boyega. Rey, on the other hand, is the Star Wars fan who grew up with Star Wars fan parents. On her home of Jakku, she is literally surrounded by artifacts of the Galactic Civil War in the form of crashed ships. She lives in an Adat, the holy grail of the original Star Wars toys. Man, I wanted one of those. She wears a rebel pilot helmet for fun, and the oversized helmet makes her look like a kid. And has even made herself an action figure. She didn't see any of the war itself, she's too young, but she's heard all about it. She knows who Luke Skywalker is, that the Millennium Falcon is famous for its Kessel Run, and all about Darth Vader. Rey speaks the language of Star Wars, figuratively and literally. The first time we see her, she is speaking an unsubtitled gibberish, defending BB-8 from an alien. The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi are, in many ways, the story of Rey coming to accept that Star Wars can be about her, rather than a connection to her parents. Finn is the new fan. He finds his way to the Resistance, and metaphorically, fandom, bit by bit. In the battle with Poe and the villagers, his helmet is marked with blood, and we get the sense that he no longer belongs with his current community. He doesn't know what to do, but can't go along with what everyone else is doing. He is marked by difference. He is then made to feel unwelcome by Kylo Ren. Soon, however, he makes friends with Poe, finds a sense of belonging, and eventually puts on Poe's jacket as a sign of his new identity. It's also worth noting that the first time we ever see Finn happy is when he and Poe are working together, and he is shouting, Did you see that? It may be a stretch, but I like to think that Poe, the lifelong fan, has just watched Star Wars with Finn. Later, when Poe sees Finn again, he tells him to keep the jacket, 
welcoming him to the fold. Another angle on Finn's growing fandom is his relationship to the Resistance. When they first meet, Poe asks him if he's with the Resistance, and he not only says no, but he's confused by the question. Being with the Resistance is the furthest thing from his mind. The next time he's asked is when Rey assumes he's with them, and he splutters about, yes, he's with the Resistance, and this is what they look like, at least some of them, and others look different. It's a cute bit, but Finn is obviously play-acting here, and is still absolutely not with the Resistance. It takes all of The Last Jedi, with Rose and DJ acting as the angel and devil on Finn's shoulders, for him to come around on heroism for its own sake, proudly declaring himself rebel scum to Phasma. It is also significant, of course, that Finn is a person of color. In this way, he represents, well, representation. The new Star Wars is going to be inclusive, says the movie, and we're happy to have everybody aboard. The final fan surrogate is Kylo Ren, who represents toxic fandom. He knows all about what happened in the earlier movies and has taken entirely the wrong lesson. He has missed the fact that Vader was redeemed in the end and instead concentrates on the part where the badass Sith Lord killed lots of people. He is also quite sure that Star Wars is all about him. He was born into the Skywalker legacy, after all, and has the white skin and male gender to prove it. As mentioned before, he gives Finn a long, seemingly disapproving look when Finn is still a stormtrooper, possibly indicating that he sees Finn as other or unwelcome. Even though Finn's race is invisible in this moment, it's difficult not to put it in the same context as the racism and misogyny that we see in toxic fandom, who are not used to sharing their interests with people who aren't straight white males. Kylo also has a habit of lashing out, and most of these destructive rages are against innocent bystanders, random officers, important-looking computer consoles, and even his own custom space hat. This tracks nicely with Toxic fans' habit of harassing people who are only tangentially related to the thing they're upset about, such as the actor who played a character they object to. Of course, the Twitter trolls tip their hand a bit by being mad at the actor, since that suggests what they're actually upset about is the existence of people who aren't white men. So pervasive is the theme of fandom in The Force Awakens. Even BB-8 gets a moment to geek out, pulling a cover off R2-D2 and seemingly awestruck to meet the great droid. It's an adorable moment, and underscores the depth to which the events of the original trilogy have touched basically everybody in the world. Aside from the fandom theme, there's another bit of neat intertextuality in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi with respect to Luke Skywalker. The first thing we see Luke Skywalker do in these movies is toss his lightsaber away. Interestingly, that was one of the last things we saw him do when we last saw him in Return of the Jedi, tossing his lightsaber away to finally reject the dark side and the Emperor. Moving backward through the original trilogy, in Empire we see Luke get trained by Yoda. In The Last Jedi we see him get one last lesson from Yoda. Also, the first time he sees Leia in the first movie, it's as a holographic projection, while the last time she sees him, it's as a force projection. And the last thing we, the audience, see of Luke in The Last Jedi is him looking at a double sunset, just as he iconically did early in that first movie. Then there's Han and Leia. They're seen in The Force Awakens, obviously full of emotions, hesitations, and unspoken attachment, is doubly poignant if you've read Carrie Fisher's final memoir, The Princess Diarist. In that book, she explains how the relationship between Leia and Han was no more complex and fraught than the relationship between Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford. It's not hard to see the characters standing in for the actors, as they hesitantly talk about hair and jackets instead of what they actually need to express. This is what I came up with for instances of Star Wars acting as a metaphor for itself. 
but I'd love to hear what I missed. If you've got another example or just want to discuss anything I've said here, talk to me on Twitter at rhyret, or come to the Chipperish forums if you'd like to have a conversation outside of 280 character limits. If you'd like to support my work and the other great podcasts here at Chipperish, head to our Patreon page and chip in a dollar a month or whatever you can afford. Patrons get access to the Chipperish live chat on Discord. You can also support any podcast you love by leaving a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening, and metaphors be with you. Mm-hmm.